We are four friends in three states across two time zones with a shared passion. Welcome to the Sports Talk Garage Podcast, where we hit the fast lane to discuss our favorite drives from the track in the ice to the court in the ball fields. We are four lifelong friends who grew up with a love of professional and collegiate sports. Today, we are bankers, investors, professors, and entrepreneurs, but our love of sports has never changed. Come listen for the fun, gain some insight, and probably a few laughs as we give you our perspective on those last lap lead changes, game-winning scores, and franchise players. This is the Sports Talk Garage. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Sports Talk Garage. Uh, this is Matt, along with my uh, normal co-hosts, David and John, and we're really excited as we uh, tap off episode 29 for everybody tonight. Uh, we're going to get a really interesting topic talking about some um, great rivalries inside the USA when it comes to sports. Uh, but before we get started, how's everybody doing this week? Uh, it's been a pretty good week. Spent a few days in the mountains with some family, so it was good to get away and out in nature, but Back at work, summer school is going strong, so hit the ground running when I got back. Yep, being back at work sucks, but (laughs) (laughs) back in Chicago, and uh, at least it's warm here, but uh, nothing like being thrown back into the fire as soon as you walk back into work, so at least least it's a short week with the holiday and coming back this week with uh, vacation, so yep, excited to record tonight and get rolling on it awesome well somewhere between david wearing flannel for being in the mountains and uh john carrying around a sweat towel from work um i actually got a nice uh farmer's tan too oh boy that uh from being down in north kakalaki (laughs) so (laughs) um i had a chance this week since we won't get to talk about it much the uh lpga is in Toledo this week. Uh, so I got to spend some time luckily as a caddy for that and got to enjoy meeting a lot of the pros and um, working with some other people. So it's really cool getting to do that. If you ever get a chance, anybody who has golf interest and they offer caddies for pro-ams, um, you can take some time to do it. It's, it's really a lot of fun and you can ask questions to a pro that normally you wouldn't get that kind of access to. So lots of fun. Uh, okay. So, just real quick, we had an addition this week with uh, our own website for the garage. It's www.sportstalkgarage.com. Uh, you can go in there, and our newest episodes are posted directly there, so you can listen right from our website. Uh, also, you can uh, talk to us through our Gmail. If you ever have any questions, at sportstalkgarage at gmail.com. Or you can give us a call and leave us a voicemail at 704-612-0190. Again, 704-612-0190. We definitely want to hear from everybody just because it's always uh, you know, interesting to hear what kind of questions y'all have. Um, and, of course, we have our uh, Twitter page, at Sports Garage Pod. So feel free to drop in that way as well. We always have some questions kind of going out. So uh, we'd love to hear from y'all. Uh, of course, uh, having John on the show is always a great time too because we know he's doing a great job with his F1 podcast, The Outlaps. So definitely make sure you make your way over to there. All right, let's go ahead and do the green flag here and get everything started. Um, 
we picked up the Boston Red Sox versus the New York Yankees. As I said, uh, we're going to go over some some of what we think is the top 10 team rivalries inside the U.S. So uh, let's go ahead and get started with that one and uh, get some interesting facts going. Well, as we kind of look at to that and just kind of all 10 of these, there's something that really crossed my mind. Like, I think for each of us and anybody listening, you can think of your favorite team and you automatically know who your rival is. But something that all 10 of these have in common is time and longevity. And all these have been going on for 80, 100, even more than 100 years. So it's pretty cool seeing just generations of fans kind of learn from, you know, parents, grandparents, who they like, why they hate the other team. So that was a lot of fun. But, yeah, Red Sox and Yankees, I mean, I think anybody around the world probably knows that this is a rivalry. It's very storied and started really in 1919, so 100 years ago, when the Red Sox owner sold Babe Ruth for $125,000 to the Yankees. And it wasn't just, hey, I'm selling him. He was financing a Broadway musical, which is kind of crazy. He needed some money. So he sold his best player to the Yankees just so he could finance a musical. So that kind of started, you know, the curse of the Bambino for Boston. So they did not win a World Series for 86 years after selling Babe Ruth for a Broadway musical. So I'm sure, you know, if you could look back at that time and say, you know what, Broadway, who cares? Keep Babe Ruth. He turned out to be one of the greatest players to ever play. Um, You know, they weren't that successful afterwards. But before that, from 1901 to 18, they won five World Series. Uh, Yankees, though, from 1920 to 2003. 26 World Series and 39 pennants compared to only four pennants for the Red Sox. So kind of complete dominance on one side. And it's very story. You know, the, the cities aren't that far apart. So it's easy to make the flight or even driving back and forth. So if you ever see on TV, you'll notice a lot of Red Sox fans at Yankee Stadium or even Yankees fans going up to Boston for games. It's generally one of you know, the top watch games of the year, generally 50% higher than most other baseball games. So, I mean, people tune in for this, even if they're not a fan of either team, just because they know there's going to be a good storyline in there somewhere. The commentators are into it. The players don't really like each other, even though they respect each other. And through this, you know, other somewhat rivalries have developed between Boston and New York, whether it's sports, mayors always giving bets back and forth of, if my team wins, you got to send me something like Boston Clam Chowder or something. So it's a lot of fun stuff that goes with this. But overall record, which I think is just crazy. Red Sox have won 1,028 times. Yankees have won 1,220 times as of July 8th. So they've played, gosh, 2,400 games, 2,200 games in over 100 years. That's closer than um, I thought it was. I, don't know, I thought it was pretty I thought, you know, when you look it, at like much the closer. dominance, especially of that 20-plus year era of the Yankees, you would have thought that they would have ran away with that record. But, you know, baseball, as many games you have, I mean, any given day – yeah, just because you get something on one day, uh, you may win by 10 on Monday and lose by 10 on Tuesday. So, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. And it kind of goes to show, you know, Yankees are built for the postseason, whereas Red Sox, they might have had a lot of great days. Kind of like you said, any given day they could win, but they couldn't sustain it in the postseason like the Yankees could. Well, if you go back to the jokes that we've made around basketball time with Carolina and Duke, you see a lot of them beating each other at, each other's houses like you know duke travels over to carolina they get a win carolina comes over to duke carolina gets a win it's just we've talked about that in the past but it seems like you know like you said baseball they play so often that could just be that flip turn during the season you gotta rise to your competition Mm -hmm. (laughs) certainly so so yeah this is definitely probably one of the most well-known 
rivalries like around the world that I would say that people from Europe or Asia, or even Australia probably know about this and maybe even kind of tune at least see some highlights afterwards. So I thought that was pretty cool to see the history and obviously knowing Babe Ruth going from one team to the other. And he's got to be looking back on that. At least the team has to be looking back on the That was one of the worst trades ever. Sell a guy for cash. Cool. Yeah. Looking back though, it's like, how do you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't predict the future, but man, that was a bad trade. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to our next topic. Uh, San Francisco Giants versus the LA Dodgers sticking with the major league baseball yeah. theme. Yeah. So with baseball, so I was not as familiar with this rivalry as some others. Uh, so I found something very interesting. So, you know, they're both in California. This actually started in New York city back in the 1880s. Yep. So 140 years ago, these two teams were playing in New York city and some pundits, you know, consider this to be one of the greatest rivalry of all time. The Giants were, you know, the well-to-do elitist in Manhattan, while the Dodgers were the blue-collar team over in Brooklyn. So they kind of hated each other from that aspect, just because of the difference of lifestyle and politics and all the other good stuff. Uh, but, you know, Walter O'Malley, who won the Dodgers, moved the team out to L.A. for financial reasons. And he was actually a buddy with the Giants owner, Horace Stoneham, who was wanting to move to Minnesota. But you know what? They had a great rivalry. So he was like, you know what? Just come on out to California anyway. Don't go to Minnesota. We'll keep this rivalry going. So once he went to L.A., once he went to San Francisco, and the rivalry has still continued from then. So, you know, to supplement that, the Yankees or excuse me, New York ended up getting the Mets. But it's just crazy to think that, you know, two California teams both started, you know, just a few miles apart in New York City. Owners were friends. You know, they played back and forth and all of a sudden go out to California, still playing back and forth. And since 1901, they've played more head-to-head games than any two baseball teams in the history of MLB. That's impressive. Um, run scored, you know, it's, and what's crazy is they're very close and similar in many aspects. Run scored 10,680 to 10,696. One run wins, 372 to 376. Extra inning wins were 111 to 104. And then five run wins, 317 to 309. So even though, you know, got 140 years worth of stats, they're still very close. I'm sure there are definitely some decades where once he was – dominant more than the other but it's still evened out over all that time it's just crazy to think that it's still going and still is it close. just me because i feel like baseball is like the one sport where stats are king like everybody you know what's the stats baseball is usually the one that comes to mind because there's so many different things they keep track of you know and especially around era or um i mean there's stats now that didn't even exist when we were growing up. So it's like, right. yeah, you're like, wait a minute, what is that? It's like, it's even, it's even funny if you're at like a minor league game and sometimes you'll see an older gentleman sitting there with a card and he's keeping stats of pitches thrown and strikes. And it's very interesting to see that when he grew up, that's probably what he did going to games. And nobody does that now. Everybody's on their phone getting the quickest updates from you know, the social media team. Oh yeah. So I find it very interesting and, Fun to yeah, see there's that. a uh, guy that sits on the same row as me at the uh, White Sox, and uh, every time I'm there, man, he's, he's sitting to my left, and he's got his pad out, and, you know, he's going inning by inning. He's got every stat, marking it down one by one. Yeah. He's got a, the radio broadcast, little headphones on, uh, <laughs> so he can get, you know, updated of, you know, if an error was changed or whatever. So, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting to see old school guys doing that. It's, it's a, it's an art yeah. form that's getting lost, but it's pretty cool to see. It is. I feel like it's a different way to enjoy the game that I want to try 
just one time just to see if I can keep up with everything going on. Well, hopefully we'll get down to uh, your neck of the woods and, and catch a, a minor league team of my affiliate baseball. Yeah. So uh, that'll be cool to there see. There we go. But yeah, that's, it's interesting too that like, and I've got a, a similar story for one of mine that I researched, but um, how rivals, you know, hated on field, but, you know, ownership being friends off the field and how <laughs> they mutually agree to work together to keep that rivalry going for the, for the benefit mm-hmm. of, you know, the sport and the teams and everything else. So again, rivalry is, is good for sports. It's, and it's, it's cool. They see it. it's good for sports. It's yeah. good for business. That's, that's how you keep so, the business alive. Definitely. That's for sure. That's how you keep it going. All right. Well, switching over to basketball, let's talk a little about the uh, LA Lakers versus the Boston Celtics rivalry. I think this is probably one of the most, or I guess the biggest rivalry in NBA, more so than pretty much anything else. Uh, probably two of the most storied franchises in the NBA started playing in 1948. Celtics are up 160 to 130 um, in regular season, all time. So including playoffs, are up 203 to 161. Uh, they've been in the finals 12 times. Celtics have 17 championships, while the Lakers have 16. So those 33 championships account for 45% of all NBA championships we cover, which is just crazy to think that two franchises have basically half of the championships that have ever been won. So just a lot of dumb, especially you know, way back when, when they were playing when the league was smaller, you know, not as many teams. So there are more, I want to say all-stars, because that sounds bad with everything going on today. But, I mean, they were, teams were stacked, and they played in Boston and L.A., They've had a lot of crazy guys who have played some of the most famous people and even 35 guys who have played for both franchises. So obviously free agents, you go from you know, franchise A to B, but there's something when you think you go from one franchise to the rival franchise, like, is it a business decision? Do you care about the rivalry? I mean, how does that really happen? So yeah, it's just my biggest note on this was 33 of the 72 championships and they've had, you know, Bill Russell, who's won 11 championships of those 17 for the Celtics. You got Kobe and Shaq and Magic and all these top 50 players of all time have played for the Celtics and Lakers. Well, what's interesting is how many times they've met in the finals. So, you know, sometimes rivalries, you know, you get one team being hot, one team being cold. They still play each other incredibly close, um, which we've seen like in our neck of the woods with Duke Carolina. Not everybody is always a good team, but they rise to the occasion. But it's crazy that they yeah. were in sync with each other for so long, at both playing at dominant levels and then meeting in the, in the ultimate stage there to, to fight it out. So just a question for you guys. When it comes down to sports, just because one of the things we're going to start covering here a little bit as well is college sports, um, which do you guys find more intriguing to watch, college or professional? So I'm, I'm on the college side. Uh, college, there's more of a passionate fan base, whether it's if somebody attended a school, they grew up in the same region, they have family who went there. But you go to a college game, you see the fan base is just wild and crazy. Whereas a professional game, people are there. It's like a social event. If the team wins, that's great. No, for instance, at, I don't know, there's just something different about being at a your, college Your game. opinions are slightly biased by Panther games, too. There's a lot of socializing. There's a lot of socializing. Fair point. <laughs> Cleveland Fair Browns point. are like diehard fans to the end and remember the good old days. Yep. Uh, no, I think it depends on the sport for me. Uh, like baseball, I watch college baseball. Um, ESPN actually plays a lot of Carolina baseball games, so I watch a lot of those. Um, 
obviously the pros, you know, if it's Sox are playing, I'll watch it. But baseball in general has a, a problem with marketing, I think, in the pro level. So that makes the, the national game a little bit not as intriguing <laughs> for these. Like, you know, sometimes if it's a rival game, you know, it's a Yankees, you know, uh, Red Sox or Yankees Mets, something like that. You know, it's like one of those like, OK, yeah, I'll watch it. I'll tune in. Um, but it's the standard game I may not watch if it's if it's a Sox game. But I think for me, football could go either way. If you're not, if you're in SEC country, you know, you know, a few years back, uh, Chris and I went down to see the Gamecocks play, and that was you know very exciting. I grew up a, a Gator fan in the swamp, and you know that's insane, you know, pure insanity down there. Um, so I could go either way on football, but I think it just depends some of it of what area you're in, and then. I think each sport kind of brings its own unique uh, experience Definitely. between college and pro. Basketball, yeah, those are both great I'll go, answers. Basketball, I'll go college any day because uh, in NBA, it's yeah, Way it's, it's it's comical sometimes just how poor NBA players play the game, <laughs> how sloppy they play the game. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's very true. Um, I'll agree with John. I think mostly on that is it, it depends on the sport. Cause I'll definitely lean college on the basketball side. Um, football's hard. There's, I, I think between college or football and basketball at the college level, there's more to lose cause it's not money driven. They're trying to get to the money. So whether it's the rivalry in it or, uh, the fact that these guys are trying to go pro and they need to make a good session, they know that they have to stand out, but they have to make the team stand out in order to get it. So it can't be just one. Anyway, um, next, let's take a look at uh, the Kentucky Wildcats versus Louisville Cardinals when it comes to the basketball scene. Yeah, with this, I mean, we're all from Carolina, so we're all passionate about Duke and Carolina, but this is probably one of the other top two college basketball rivalries out there both are in Kentucky so there's no professional teams in Kentucky so everybody's they're a fan of Kentucky or Louisville they cheer for one and it's pretty I'm not sure how it's divided whether it's like the city of Louisville and everybody else is Kentucky or where that line is kind of drawn but it seems like everybody votes for one or the other um, they've won second best college basketball third best college in sports according to a poll by ESPN uh, for rivalries in 2007 they first met in 1913, so again, over 100 years ago. 52 meetings. Kentucky leads all-time 36-16. And this is a crazy stat that I didn't actually realize until looking at. Kentucky has won more games than any Division One team ever at 2,293. Louisville's a little bit behind at 26 um, all-time, which is still really good thinking about all the teams there are with 1,700-plus wins. But, I mean, these two teams don't like each other. There's a lot of not hatred, but a lot of dislike for one another. Kentucky, though, eight championships, Louisville has two, but over the last 38 years, they've accounted for 22% of the national championships in college basketball. So, gosh, it's not as high, especially, you know, when you think of March Madness where any team could fall on any day, yet these two teams have basically a fifth of all the championships over the last four decades. That's pretty crazy. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's a big number. I feel like, and I'm purely speculating because – I know nothing really about the state of Kentucky, Matt. You might, might know more than me just because of your affiliation with, <laughs> with horses. Um, but based on, like, pure, like, fan apparel that I see from, you know, here in Chicago and then just traveling around the country and stuff, I feel like I see a, a heck of a lot more Kentucky 
a, a fan apparel on mm-hmm. than I do Louisville. So I wonder if it's like, like you said, like I would agree Kentucky owns like 80, 90% of the state and then you know, <laughs> Louisville has the rest. But, you know, that's well, another it's... good thing about rivalries is that it's, you know, it's not always, you know, I think Sox, Cubs, something like that, you know, it, we're, we're the, the small potatoes in the city, but you know, <laughs> the rivalry is just as heated. It doesn't matter if you have a smaller fan base. Yeah. Definitely. I think a chunk of that goes to the state school versus a city school. Yeah, that's another big one. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, you know, there's a lot of people that, that filter into the state. You know, I think that there's more history at University of Kentucky. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, I think John makes a great point of the Chicago baseball teams being just as, you know, just he doesn't matter who has a bigger fan base. I just think Kentucky has a little bit more roots inside of the basketball genre, uh, and that's why they have all the you know stats that they have. And Kentucky's a little bit skewed. I mean, with the the one and duns, which I think they made <laughs> famous. Uh, now everybody's hopping in on that, um, at least for the moment. Until, as we talked about in a couple episodes ago, that uh, you know the, the high school players coming back out, hopefully in a couple of years. But until then. Kentucky definitely perfected that one and done. And, and guys know that, yeah. you know, if you want to get in the NBA click, uh, that's got to be your number Go one Calipari. choice. Yeah, absolutely. So, which yeah. I know it probably makes that rivalry even more hated from the Louisville side of things that, you know, that's not the, their focus. And <laughs> you're getting beat by guys that are, <laughs> you know, at least they're only there for a year. But unfortunately, Cal Perry's got a whole other uh, roster yeah. coming up. right just replenishing. Yeah. <laughs> And it's crazy. Kind of think over the last maybe 10 years, Kentucky's been dominant with Calipari, kind of NBA guys just hanging out for a year. Whereas with Rick Pitino at Louisville, I mean, all the scandal that he's had and things that have come on and sanctions from the NCAA, they've kind of gone in two different directions recently. So I wonder how long this is going to last, when it's going to even out, kind of come back to a normal mode. Well, real quick, before we get to the break, let's talk about the big college basketball. According to Bleacher Report, uh, these two teams rank on the international scale top 100 rivalries international now, not just USA number 10. And that's the Duke blue devils versus the Carolina Tar Heels. David, give us some stats on that. Oh, I think I've got this one. I'll still, oh, is this one. a job? Yeah, oh, <laughs> Who let you be in charge of this one? <laughs> Folks, this is going to be this a one sided one. bias. No, right no, here. no, it's <laughs> no, I, I was very unbiased on this one, but being objective, this is, it's, this is a objective. pretty interesting uh, rivalry. I mean, it's it's got to be one of the most iconic, like you said, even in the world. People from, you know, the few times that I've been able to travel internationally, uh, there's a few sports apparels that I'll wear, and you can guarantee that <laughs> that UNC or Duke, for that matter, um, is easily recognizable. No matter what, if you're in any major city in the, in the whole world, people know those two symbols, and you know I. Even here, I run across uh, a plethora of, of both. In um, you know, we always give that stank eye to each other as they're walking across the sidewalk, <laughs> kind of thing. Like, yeah, I see you over there. But um, yes, I mean these teams are located essentially just like ten miles apart, um, which obviously it may be the closest rivalry of any that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, first meeting was in 1920 when UNC won 36 to 25. There's been 251 total games between the two. UNC does lead the overall series 139 to 112. 
um, insanely. Matt, you're going to think I'm a little biased because these first few are a little bit <laughs> UNC days. Largest margin of it was victory little... was 37 points by UNC in 1921 uh, when they mm. won 44 to 12. So obviously a very very different basketball game back <laughs> 40, in the day. 12. Uh, longest winning streak of either team ever was 16 games by the Tar Heels from 1921-1928. But here's where things start really getting interesting. So since uh, the ACC came around in the 50s, uh, UNC and Duke have combined to win or share 49 ACC regular season championships. So that's like 78 percent of the time. Uh, it's going to be one of those two teams. And then tournament titles, you've got basically almost 60% of every tournament title in the ACC has been won by one of those two. Um, UNC, if I'm not mistaken, is number three on the all-time winningest programs. Duke is now number four, quickly catching up. Uh, hopefully, Coach K retires <laughs> one of these days, too. Yeah. Uh, Let's keep a little distance yeah, in there. Can, can we stick them on USA basketball a little longer? So I don't know. we got to do something. But um, combining to win um, – what is it, 11, I think, national championships in the last – well, 10 in the last 36 years. So 28% of every national championship in the last 36 years has been won by one of those two teams. And then statistically speaking, you basically have uh, a 33 – one and third chance of UNC or Duke starting the season as preseason number ones. So wow. both Jeez. of them have had, obviously, yeah. iconic uh, Hall of Fame coaches with – Chesky being the winningest coach now of all time. Um, Dean Smith was the winningest coach of all time before he retired, and then that title was uh, later broken, I, uh, I think, by Bobby Knight and then by Coach K a little later on. Um, so, I mean, just – Oh, respect, respect to the man at the hill with the Dean <laughs> Dome. Oh, yeah, for so. sure. You know, and – Which, is, and you've got a which future... is honestly one of the most – well-built facilities for going to watch a game. Like I will give credit where it's due. I've been in there. I would love to go when they're having the rivalry game, but just the energy when you walk in that, that room and the color and the fans, just it's phenomenal. If you get a chance to go, anybody who's listening, you need to go. Mm -hmm. Well, it's too as interesting is that the, you know, now UNC plays in this like glorious arena and it's, it's immaculate holds a bunch of people and then you drive a few miles down the road to Cameron Indoor, which is basically looked like a high school gym. And that's not a knock on them because, no. you know, the way it's built and, you know, you pack that many people into basically the equivalent of a high school gym, uh, you know, that's what they're known for. You know, the Cameron Crazies uh, and the energy yep. that they bring into that building, it's, it's two diff very different atmospheres between Carolina and Duke. I'd probably give the atmosphere to, to lean towards to Duke. Duke, unfortunately, on that. Um, mm -hmm. you know, you can't beat the Cameron crazies, but <laughs> it does make it harder to get a ticket in there though, because of oh. the limited seating. It only holds about 4,000 people. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, a friend of mine, actually, his grandparents have season tickets and it's pretty much been willed down through their family cause they will never get rid of them. David, I think your crazy. friend and I need to become friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, one, one stat you mentioned that I think is crazy. So. Said they've won seventy-seven percent of season titles and roughly like sixty-six or sixty percent of tournament titles in the ACC. The ACC is a good conference. There's a lot of great teams who are all really good teams. Yet these two still stand out as the top year after year, which is not a knock to the other teams. Just saying how great of a conference the ACC is and how tough it is, and 
It could be a bloodbath sometimes going through their regular season coming out. Well, listen, Duke and Carolina still managed to do it. And especially, too, they maintain it even when North Carolina as a state basketball was very much in its heyday. When you had uh, mm. Carolina, you had Duke, you had the Wolfpack right down the road uh, over in Raleigh, uh, had dominant programs for many years. You had Wake. Had, you know, so you've got you know crazy programs that have produced excellent teams, yet these two – always seem to rise to the top of the occasion. Um, you know, UNC's got six national championships. Duke's at five. Um, you know, and the, the crazy thing, too, is if you start looking at their points. So, I had to do a little bit of math. It's, you know, hopefully my numbers are, are you know, math's not my thing. So, hopefully my numbers are pretty close. But all time, so uh, of the 251 games that they played going back to 1920, uh, points-wise – UNC has scored 16,245 points, whereas Duke has scored 15,942. So they're only separated by basically 300 points across, what, almost 100 years now at this wow. point, 99 years. Uh, the intro then, of the Coach K three-pointer. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah, seriously. You look at it, since 1950, things get really crazy. Um UNC scores 13,761 points, and uh, Duke is 13,723 points. So there's cool. literally, uh, what is that, 30-something points separating the, the, the two of them. And honestly, that Over number – 70 years. Yeah, and that number was a lot closer <laughs> had UNC not had a decent game uh, in the regular season uh, this earlier this year. So before that, I think there was only a point separating them going into that game. Uh, you know, Tar Heels had a good night and won that battle. And then, obviously, uh, Duke came back in the tournament and won a very, very close mm-hmm. one to slightly tighten that, that lead up. But to think that, you know, over 100 you – know, basically 100 years, you've got 300-point difference. And over 70 years, you've got, you know, 30-something points between the two of them in basketball. That's unbelievable to think about. It's got to be one of the one of the greatest. I know that all of us have lived um, – I feel like more times than not, Duke has won those, like, heartbreaking last-second throw-it-up-and-it-goes-in moments. Um, when I was thinking about through and watching some old highlights today, I feel like, you know, 80% of them were some stupid Dukey throwing in a, mm. a half-point <laughs> or half-court shot that's going in at the buzzer or something like that. But, you know, there's been brawls, there's been fights, there's been blood that's been shed. Um, and the, the the respect between these two uh, is unbelievable. It's, it's one of the hardest tickets in the world to get your hands on from a sports perspective, um, and it dominates national and international media when these two kick off. And and like we were talking about earlier, even when one or both of these teams suck, which happens in college programs from time to time, um, you know they still rise to the occasion. You know UNC went through a period of time after Dean Smith um, retired, where you know they they went they're a pretty pitiful program for a handful of years there, and that really helped do crawl back in with Coach K's dominance. But uh, even then, you know uh, the boys would show up and they would brawl out uh, to let to the buzzer. So heck of a battle there. All right. See, I was well, pretty well, unbiased there. Nah. Pretty unbiased. We'll hashtag haterade for John, right? You know, I gave credit where credit's but, due. Hey, perfect. I would go with that. Being objective, but yeah, at least until right. um, you know, a couple of times or a few months from now, at least at the moment, UNC will will hold down the points lead, um, and hopefully the overall lead and wins for hopefully a you for know a couple another, more years. Yeah, another yeah. maybe ten years or something like that. But 
yeah. You can always count on UNC and Duke to have one of the top recruiting classes. So there's always replenishing talent to come in and well, keep before, it going. Absolutely. Before we go to our break, I'm just curious. Does anybody remember when the three-pointer was entered? In college? No, Ooh. just in general. Just because in general? that that think about what John Statt was in 1950, how close those – or how much those yeah. points jumped. That's when the three-pointer kind of came into play. Somewhere in there because originally it was just, what, ones and twos? Two? Just two. They didn't have a three-point line. No. So, anyway, yeah, I mean, we'll have to look up that stat. If you're ever curious, like, basketball back in the 20s and 30s um, looked very, very different than it does nowadays. So, if you're ever uh, – That whole flopping thing probably didn't exist back then either. No. If you flopped back yeah. in the 30s, someone would probably knock your teeth out. So, <laughs> back when men were men. <laughs> oh, that's true. Dude. It's bad today. Anyway. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and uh, drop the yellow flag here. Um, uh, Do a quick sponsor identification. Again, take a look and listen. Uh, We definitely appreciate them as they um, give us a hand in production and and, uh, sponsor us a little bit. So we'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back, and thank you again for joining us here at the Sports Talk Garage. I uh, hope you got to got a chance to listen to our sponsors, and we hope you'll try them out. They're uh, good companies. We work with them, and we appreciate them working with us. So, uh, again, real quick, if you guys are just joining in, uh, we do have a new website, www.sportstalkgarage.com, where you can go in and check out our latest episodes, and we're working on – uh, really building that up, maybe building some bios for ourselves so you can get to know us a little better. Uh, you can also talk to us through the other methods we've talked about in the past. Our email is sportstalkgarage at gmail.com. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail at 704-612-0190. Or you can always hit us up on Twitter at sportsgaragepod. And uh, uh, we really do a, lo- a lot of fun stuff on the Twitter page and running some surveys. So, if you get a chance, definitely swing by one of those spots. We would love to hear from you with any questions or um, interesting topics you'd like to hear uh, or anything that might have happened from uh, original episodes that we've had you'd like to comment about. All right, so as we get back into the show here, um, I believe John has some information for us as one of our local NHL guys. Let's talk about the Detroit Red Wings versus uh, John Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, so obviously this one, next couple actually um, fit in pretty close to home. Um, you know, this one is is an interesting rival because of the fact of proximity. Um, you know, it's it's almost been – it definitely hasn't been taken away. But, you know, with them playing in, in different divisions now, um, you know, they only are playing each other a couple of times a year, which, which hurts that a little bit, it kind of takes away, but it also makes some games a little bit more special, kind of like the Duke Carolina games where you got a couple a year to make the most of them. But these guys are only 280 miles apart. Both of them were part of the original six franchises um, for the NHL. They first played each other in 1926. So, again, going back to longevity, excuse me, the data mentioned, you know, you've got another one that's, you know, we just, just talked about uh, Duke Carolina playing in the 20s, starting the 20s, and now here we are, another team starting back in, in 1926, 
um, where Detroit, I believe, won that game one to nothing. Um, over the last uh, almost 100 years, uh, 90-something years, um, they've played each other 818 times. Now, Detroit, uh, honestly, wow. this is one of those rivals where, and it pains me to say it, being a Blackhawks guy, but Detroit has had the upper hand in this rivalry uh, from a statistical standpoint. So Detroit leads the all-time series uh, 406 wins to 314 losses with uh, there's been 84 ties. Um, Chicago, however, does lead the postseason, uh, playing each other 43 to four, uh, excuse me, 43 to 38. So really close in the postseason, which, you know, sometimes that's when, when it all comes, uh, and, and, uh, is really important, but longest winning streak of any team was 13 by Chicago. Um, both of these teams have gone through eras where they've been pretty bad and both of them have had, uh, dominant eras (laughs) as well. Um, at one point, actually, both of these teams, as with a couple other, uh, were, were technically owned by the same family, um, which is oh, interesting geez. stat that, um, you know, the, the, the people joke that the, um, uh, the league was basically the, the NHL stood for like the Norris House League uh, because the Norris family <laughs> basically had ownership rights in multiple teams. Mm-hmm. Um, which when you've got six teams and, you know, several of them are Canada based and you've got, you know, a few in the U S uh, two in the, uh, in the Midwest, you know, I guess it makes sense. You know, hockey wasn't a big thing back then, um, like it is today, but you know, both of them have had, again, like I said, dominant championships, uh, runs, uh, again, definitely Detroit has had the upper hand. They've had 11 (laughs) total Stanley cup championships, um, and they're, uh, almost 100-year existence. Their last win, though, was in 2008. Um, and the the Blackhawks, uh, thankfully, ended a very long streak of, of poor performances um, not that long ago, actually. So they have six championships, three of which have come essentially in, in the last 10 years, uh, with their last one uh, being in 2015. So, they, you know, they won uh, three uh, basically every other year. Um, over the corners there. So, like I said, they are in different divisions now, um, but it's, it is considered to be one of the most hated rivalries in sports and definitely in the NHL. Um, you know, you go back and you watch some of these games, and, you know, there's uh, – although the Blackhawks aren't known for being fighters and brawlers in their current ro- roster, back in the heyday of this rivalry, um, you know, there was mul- there was plenty of bloodshed between these guys. Uh, they absolutely hated each other. Still this day – they hate each other. It's and it's special too because back then you've got, you know, the Blackhawks wearing white at home, and you'd have the Red Wings wearing red, and in, in the Chicago building, and vice versa. And now it's flip flop, but it is cool to see like that Chicago white and that Red Hawk or uh, Red Wings red, uh, just because it is such an iconic um, rivalry t- between the two of them. Something you mentioned about that, you know, going back to the ownership owned by the Norris family, you know, James Norris owned both teams. And then until his death in 1953, he gave one team each to both of his sons. So there's that sibling rivalry where you want to show up your brother, you know, we want to get the best of him in certain aspects. So I, I can easily trickle down to, you know, the fan base, all the staff employees, like, hey, you want to want to help your owner beat his brother. So it's kind of interesting seeing the two Midwest teams here just, you know, want to get the best of each other. And there seems to be a commonality among the professional sports where the ownership is, you know, friends who, you know, try to keep it going or, you know, like this, where it's a family thing that kind of 
it's divided up among a death. Well, and don't forget, it's always fun to throw a squid onto the ice if you're in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, and it's like the infamous <laughs> yeah. uh, Detroit Sox chants. I mean, there's been famous. Uh, <laughs> it is it is interesting. Like uh, I read a stat that seven out of the largest ten crowds ever for a hockey match in the United Center. Uh, in Chicago are for Detroit games. Um, the biggest one ever actually for, I believe a sporting event um, was a Blackhawks Detroit game in Chicago standing room only packed in um, which one you have a, a team that's uh, you know, thankfully in the last decade or so has been rolling on a sellout streak. It's crazy to see that, uh, you know, even then they're, they're selling even more tickets like, get everybody in the door so we can fight it out. And I'm sure there's been multiple fights in the stands <laughs> and everything else. These, these guys hate each other. The fans hate each other. Um, you know, and that rivalry <laughs> has gone on, like you mentioned earlier in other sports, you know, Pistons, Bulls and things like that. So the close proximity between these two cities, um, you know, they're both cities that work. And so there is a lot of blue collar history between both of them. And, and that certainly uh, uh, came into play as well over the rivalry history. Sure. All right, uh, let's switch up just a little bit. Uh, so far, we've talked about a little baseball, a little basketball, a little hockey. Let's talk about uh, some football, America's other favorite pastime. Um, Green Bay Packers versus the Chicago Bears, another John hometown for us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this one. one, again, is like one of those other ones that um, has international implications Uh you know, football is growing internationally, but people recognize the the C and the and the GB. Um, you know, it, it is both iconic colors. They both have, uh, even though I think one of them is pretty hideous looking, they both have iconic uniforms that have, you know, <laughs> uh, for the most part, have been the Bears have been virtually unchanged for decades now, and the Packers in, in similar fashion. Um, so these teams actually first met in 1921. So the Packers just had their 100th year. They're rolling into their 100th and one year this upcoming season. Um, and the Bears are getting ready to kick off their 100th season. Um, and it, it's funny enough, obviously, the, the NFL decided to cash in on that, which is smartly of them. They did it last year for a kickoff game in Lambeau, uh, where unfortunately the Green Bay Packers made a, a heck of a comeback to beat the Bears on opening night, but then they're going to repeat that history in Chicago on a Thursday night game at Soldier Field. So it's going to be rocking. I looked at tickets the other day and it was as cheap as I could find was 700 a piece to get into nosebleeds. So Ooh. that, uh, I probably won't be going there, uh, but I'll be, uh, Oh, Hey, you know what? Oh well, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'll, <laughs> uh, you know, I can walk there in 10 minutes. So if we win, who knows? I'm sure there'll be a party in the streets, but, uh, again, these guys first played in 1921. Actually, when it was the uh, Chicago Staley's at the time, which eventually became the Bears. Bears won that one 20 to six. Um, so combined, these guys actually combined for 22 championships, football championships. 13 for Green Bay, nine for Chicago. Unbelievable. Obviously, in the Super Bowl era, unfortunately, Green Bay has had a, a more dominant run. They had four Super Bowls. Chicago had one. Uh, both of them had games that they probably should have won in Super Bowls uh, and, and fell just short. So that number could have been even bigger than the 22. Um, a crazy stat that I saw is that they've had 65 combined players in the Hall of Fame, uh, 34 for wow. Chicago, 31 for Green Bay. 
That's 21% of all players in the NHL or NFL Hall of Fame are from Chicago Bears to the Green Bay Packers. That's unbelievable. You know, uh, a fifth. There's that you got 30 something teams, aspect, and a fifth of man. every player in there is, is from one of these two teams. Um, they've played each other 198 times. Uh, Packers currently lead the series 97 to 95, and they've had six ties. Was an interesting thing and, and, and almost painful thing is that at two times over the course of this uh, rivalry, the Bears have actually been up 24 games in that overall record. And then, oh, you know, oh, they've wow. come in landslides. It's been not real common that these teams have actually been good at the same time. They both had their runs and then falls. So, you know, the Bears would get up huge in that rivalry. Um, and then Green Bay would crawl their way back and tie it up and then take the leads at some point, And then it would repeat itself. Uh, and now Green Bay, again, has a very slight edge in the overall um, com- combination of the two. Um, so the other one, um, you know, they've only played – an interesting fact, too, they've only played twice in the postseason, which is crazy to think that 100, 101 years, they've only played each other twice. But Ferris won in 1941, and the Packers in t- uh, 2011 actually won. So they split the, the two times there. Log, largest margin of victory is 54 points by the Bears in 1980. Uh, but on the flip side, the longest winning streak uh, for the it was actually for the Packers at 10 straight games from 1994 to 1998. Um, they're one of the only few teams that actually beat a, uh, a team four times in a season back in that era. Um, this actually is not the longest active rivalry um, in the uh, NFL, and which most people think it is. And that's because in 1982, during the, short, the strike-shortened season, uh, these two teams actually did not play that season. So it technically broke the streak. Um, but if you take away that, it's clearly the longest rivalry. Um, you know, these teams are both uh, essentially founding members. Um, Another thing that I thought was pretty interesting is, you know, we talk about ownership, we talk about coaches. Um, you know, you've got uh, Lombardi, um, you've got Curly Lambeau, you've got, um, you know, uh, George Hallis, obviously. So you've got iconic guys, um, iconic figures in football, iconic figures in their cities, iconic figures in uh, their teams and respectively, these player coaches and things like that. And, um, you know, one of the cool things that I saw, we were talking about um, pivotal moments and, and how rivalries can almost fall apart and how it takes uh, the other team uh, an opportunity to get together. Both these teams have actually helped each other out along the way. So um, back in uh, 1956, um, George Hallis actually played a pivotal role in keeping the Packers in Green Bay. So at the time they played uh, in the – uh, city stadium up there, which only held like, I don't know, 20 something thousand seats or something like that. It was a very small number. Uh, and then it felt deemed that it was not large enough uh, to, to be a, a pro stadium. So the team was actually about to move to be relocated uh, to another city. And it was actually George Hallis who went up there and actually pleaded and pet- uh, petitioned um, with the voters of Green Bay to pass a law to therefore supply funding to build um, what we now call as, um, you know, what what has now become one of the of the most iconic uh, stadiums uh, in football. So it's interesting that you've got, uh, you know, they, they talk about, you know, two days out of the year, these guys absolutely hate each other. They, they wouldn't, you know, spit it on each other if the other was on fire. And the same for these teams and these rivalries and these fans. 
but the other 363 days of the year, you know, they had just real genuine respect for each other. Um, they both knew that they need each other. In fact, one point, I don't remember what year it was, but I think uh, the Packers, um, you know, their leadership or ownership actually loaned uh, George Hallis some money, which it was like $1,200 back and then that was a lot of money. So both of these guys, you know, both these families understood the importance of having each other um, in close proximity. But, um, you know, they're only, what, uh, 200, 300 miles apart from each other. You know, you might as well say the entire state of Wisconsin is is Green Bay country. So you're basically only an hour separating the two as they're right across the line. And the entire Midwest is interesting that it's split. Um, You know, you've got whether you're going to Iowa or Indiana or – you know, even some Minnesota folks, you know, are split. You know, you see some non-Viking fans. They they grew up with as Bears or Packers fans. So it's interesting to see that rivalry. And a funny story that, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I was halfway around the world rocking my Bears gear, and I'm in a train station. And, of course, enroll as a Packers <laughs> fan. And it's it's one of those things, things we talked about earlier, like both of us locked eyes on each other. It was basically like a, yeah, screw you. Uh, type without even saying anything, we just knew it through each other's <laughs> eyes. Like the, this pure the hatred between you the two it, yeah. by rocking it. Um, and you know, it's obviously you see a lot of that in Chicago. You see a lot of Green Bay people that live in Chicago, and so there's divided households. A friend of mine has a divided household, so it, it's crazy to see the the rivalries and the hatred there. Um, it's but it's a lot of respect for sure. Well, especially late in the season, yeah, as you look at uh, the two different fields, but. Lambo always being that one. I remember seeing those pictures and videos where ice is literally formed all the way across rows of seats. And you, th- those guys don't even sit down. They're in giant coats staying no, up. They don't need bleachers. But let's be honest. When you're a team from the South and you know you have to go up there during the middle of winter, who has the upper hand? Oh, all well, day that, long. That's another thing that oh, like all day. these two teams have been known for and they take a lot of pride in. So, there's a couple other teams in our division and certainly, you know, uh, when it comes to Midwest and winter type cities that will uh, where winter storms and winter winter weather really plays impacts. Uh, a lot of these teams went to, to domes. Um, and that's something that uh, both the Packers and the Bears take a lot of pride in is that both of them play outdoors in the elements. Um, you know, it was a few years ago, I went to a, a Bears Packers game and, you know, wind chill was like negative 10 that day and was whipping off the lake and um, basically it was, you know, you're passing around bourbon or something like that is the only way to keep warm. You know, the whole section just <laughs> passing around, everybody's sipping it in, passing along um, just as a, a way to like keep your belly warm. You're, you're standing on, you know, cardboard boxes that you've crushed down to try to get a little bit of insulation between your boots and the stadium. And um, you know, but these, these teams take pride in it and they love the fact that they've got, you know, somebody rolling up in here from the South who's not used to this weather and they know they can use that as an advantage. And that's one of the reasons why both of them choose uh, to, to play indoor or play outdoors and have no desire to ever go indoors. And they give a lot of crap to their division rivals who have built these stupid domes because uh, they, they lose a lot of respect for that. Yeah. Kind of, I mean, those domes, you know, it's 72, it's nice and cool. People are in their t-shirts, but there's definitely something to be said about playing outdoors and the weather and the cold and snow and you know it's a huge advantage especially you know late in december you know you got that running game going you're not throwing the ball as much so it's a huge advantage for you know the bears and packers for that and dedication um, to the to the fan bases on both sides um yeah you know they, they they're selling out these stadiums and you know it's 
zero degrees and wind chills and you know double digits below and you both fan bases are still out there rocking their stuff and you can just see sometimes see their eyes although you do have a each team both does have those crazy fools that are like shirtless with uh paint on them getting frostbitten (laughs) but uh you know it's they show up and they support their team uh no matter what even when they suck you know they're still out there and supporting them so always yeah, so my in-laws are, you know, they're from Chicago. They grew up there. So they went to Bears games back in, I don't know, 80s, 90s, whatever, before they moved down to North Carolina. So it was a lot of fun after hearing from them all the time about Bears, 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 and all the games they went to. So going up there a couple of years ago with Chris and we went to a game with you. So that was a lot of fun just being in that stadium and knowing the history of everybody that's come through there and all the teams that have played there and it was just as much fun being in that stadium, just looking around as it was watching the actual game. And obviously it didn't go the way I wanted it. Yeah. To, thankfully, the Bears even won. though I, um, that was one of our worst years in franchise history. Thankfully my boys took <laughs> care of scam Newton. Oh, um, and, yeah. uh, got a couple of picks off that boy and we, and we won a good one, but it was, it was uh, yeah, it was a fun game. And yeah, you, you talk about either way, whether yeah. whichever stadium, whichever team you support, um, you know, it's cool walking into a place that, you know, just has a ton of history, regardless of where it is. Um, just the, the Hall of Famers that have played there and the iconic games, the Fog Bowl, you know, the Ice Bowls, things like that. These are just classic things that have been around because of these teams. Cool. Um, let's switch into another NFL uh, rivalry and let's talk a little bit about uh, the Dallas Cowboys versus the New York Giants. So doing the research on this one, I found some interesting points. Uh, I think one of the first ones is I I went to Bleacher Report since I feel like they do a pretty good job. And again, of the 100 uh, international top rivalries, they were rated number 67. Um, And uh, I think Dallas holds probably one of the largest names in NFL history of Tom Landry. Uh, Tom finished as a coach at 35, 17 and two against the giants over 29 seasons. Um, He had 20 consecutive winning seasons from 1966 to 1985, won two super bowls uh, in six and 12, five NFC titles and 13 division titles. Um, So really and truly the, the history just with him alone is pretty strong. Uh, they had their first meeting in December 1960. They've met a total of 114 times, and the series is currently led by the Cowboys 66 to 46 to 2. Hardly ever see a tie anymore, so it's interesting when you see some of those stats pop. Um, largest victory goes to the Cowboys at 52 to 7 uh, in 1966, and the Cowboys have the largest win streak right now of four games since 2017. So, Part of the original uh, rivalry may have come when their first game was a tie, 31 to 31. <laughs> um, right. It's one of those two ties. Uh, you know, every time I looked up more and more stuff, I, it kept coming back to Landry, which, again, excellent player, great coach. Uh, he was drafted by the Giants in 47, uh, three more years before he actually played with them played uh, defensive back, halfback, and quarterback. Uh, In those roles, he recorded one rushing touchdown, one passing touchdown, two touchdowns off fumble recoveries, and three touchdowns off of interceptions. 
Uh, made one Pro Bowl as a player in 1954. Same season, he joined the Giants coaching staff. After he retired as a player at the end of 55 season, he became the Giants defensive coordinator, inventing the 4-3 defense, which very prominent in today's football scheme still. Um, serving in that role through 1959. In 1960, he became the head coach, uh, first-year Cowboys, and his 29 seasons went 35-17-2 against the Giants, which I kind of mentioned earlier. Uh, I pulled up a couple interesting stories. Um, in the final game of the 1993 season, both teams uh, at 11-4 and four and competing for the number one seed in the NFC playoffs, Cowboy running back, which I think a lot of people our age still know is Emmett Smith, uh, being one of the best they've ever had, suffered a separated right shoulder in the first half, but continued to play through pain, uh, being very obvious. He still got 168 rushing yards, including 41 on the game-winning drive. So if you come out of the first half, the final drive is 41 yards created by you with a separated shoulder. John, I, I think you could tell us how much pain that feels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got that's some big kahunas right there to say in that yep. game. Uh, Dallas ended up winning 16-13 to 13 overtime, and just interesting about that. So Smith also locked up the NFL rushing title uh, with that performance. After the game, this is a neat piece, sportscaster John Madden paid a visit to Smith in the locker room, excuse me, in the locker room to congratulate him. Uh, the only time that Madden, as an announcer, actually paid that kind of visit to a player later writing, it was one of the toughest efforts I've ever seen by any football player in any time. Now, the big thing was it also locked up uh, a bye, uh, putting Dallas into first place, so they actually gave Smith some time to recover uh, before he became the MVP, and they won uh, the Super Bowl that year. Uh, the other fun one I found was um, in on November 7, 1994, the 7-1 Cowboys hosted the 3-5 and Giants after a scoreless first quarter. Some of this is just some pieces for you. Alvin Harper's touchdown catch from Troy Aikman, another big name, and a one-yard Emmett Smith rushing score left the Cowboys up 14-3. to uh, final play of the first half, Aikman launched a long pass to Harper in the end zone. Harper was hit in midair by Giants safety Tito Wooten. Suffered a sprained left knee. Cowboys receiver coach Hubbard Alexander then attacked Jarvis Williams of the Giants, and Michael Irvin punched Williams with a helmet. <laughs> as the brawl, I kind of remember seeing this as a kid, so this was just kind of funny reading this whole thing again. Uh, as the brawl escalated, Cowboys safety James Washington grabbed a camera and monopod with a local – uh, from a local photographer, brandished it like a sword, yelling for Giants players to take him on. <laughs> Urban was fined twelve grand, Washington ten thousand by the league. When order finally restored, the Cowboys actually still beat the Giants thirty-eight to ten. Um, so some big history, couple interesting stories. Uh, it's you know it's definitely one of those ones uh, back when when. I think the Cowboys were in their heyday for a long time. You know, and then I feel like the Giants took another run back to the Cowboys. I just remember growing up and, you know, you're either when you play backyard football, you're either the Cowboys, the Giants, the Bears, you know, everybody would always kind of tease around Mike Dick um, or Green Bay. Uh, you know, so you always picked one of these four iconic teams generally when you were going out to play just because they were the long known. Maybe Sam Fran just 
because uh, they had their run. So uh, it's cool to kind of go back and see some of the history. I listed some of the notable uh, names on either team. Uh, obviously, I mentioned Tom Landry a couple times as a player and a coach uh, for the for the the uh, Cowboys. Um, Roger Staubach, Staubach, excuse me, Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin, Herschel Walker, uh, Bullet Bob Hayes, Deion Sanders, uh, currently Zeke Elliott. Um, when you look at the Giants, uh, you've got Michael Strahan, Frank Gaff- Gifford, Y.A. Tittle, Tiki Barber, Phil Sims, Jesse Armstead, Eli Manning, Jeremy Shockey, uh, OBJ, Bart Oates, Justin Tuck. So I tried to go back and pick up some names for some history that made some uh, some big waves as well. But, you know, big rivalry. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to think that's you know, one of the top two, you know, out there. Uh, we talk about divided households. One of my uh, in-law side of things, there's a divided house between Cowboys and Giants. And, you know, it, it's come football season, things get a little rough. You know, maybe not. They may not be on speaking terms on those particular Sundays, <laughs> but uh, living in the same household is rough. But yeah, it, it's crazy to see. It's, it's both of them iconic teams. Both of them have legendary fan bases. Whether you love them or hate them, uh, you still got to respect them. Yeah, you say on your side of the house this this yeah. this day. Yeah, I'll watch the game downstairs. You stay. <laughs> you stay upstairs. Yeah, John. Something you mentioned when you were traveling internationally, wearing your Bears gear. If you're like. No matter where you go in the United States or even internationally, you always see somebody wearing some Cowboys yeah, gear. Yeah, that's true. And it's, I agree. It's, just, it's just bound to happen. Like, they're just there. They're everywhere. And it's not just Dallas. It's I know they're called America's team. I don't know if that's true as much anymore. But Well, you also don't yeah, have to be from Dallas or in Dallas. It just came down a family yeah. line, and you just watched it with you that. shared for who your parents yep. did. Yeah. Well, I mean, we saw it, you know, when we were young – kids you know long before even carolina had a team you know basically everyone in that town was either cowboys fan or redskins fan which is obviously another yep. huge rivalry oh, redskins, between yep. the two yeah so say that east conference um yeah it was like you, you, why the cowboys i don't know they're america's team but then washington was relatively close proximity, proximity. uh to to state of north carolina at the time so i mean it's like yeah it's uh and yeah, at still this day, you still see that star, that stupid star everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I got to say quickly, this is making me miss some football, and I'm ready for late August, September to get here and get some games going. Don't, hey, man, yeah. I finally got my summer. All right, you calm down. Yeah, down I'll say don't don't get don't get no. too crazy. I mean, I'm all excited <laughs> about Bears football kickoff, uh, Bears Packers, but you know, I I got need, okay. need. I won't rush it. It, it but... just got warm here last week. <laughs> Just, just start well, your anticipation over there. We're all going to slow down summer and enjoy it up here. Uh, yeah, come back here when it's 90, 95. We've got some, some river time. we got some lake time ahead of us. we gotta, we got to soak it in while we can. Amen. Um, so let's switch from the pros into some college, because I know we all really appreciate some college football. Let's talk about one of the older uh, rivalries out there. Uh, and probably one of the most noted, whether they make playoff runs or uh, conference titles or whatever it may be, I think one of the biggest games out there is Army versus Navy. Um, Bleacher Report puts this one as number 28. I think it could sit a little higher. I mean, I read through a lot of the top 10, and, uh, you know, this is hard. 
you know, when you talk about this, these are America's teams because it's really looking at the guys that are going through, um, you know, candidacy school for uh, being our leaders inside the military. So you're talking about some some deep seated rivalry. It's been around a really long time. So it's between the Army Black Knights or cadets from West Point, New York, and the U.S. Naval Academy midshipmen. Try saying that five times fast. <laughs> um, so this game marks the end of the regular season uh, and final game of three for the Commander in Chief's Trophy. Uh, obviously, the United States Air Force is third team, but feels like they're just kind of like the you know, as much as it's a rivalry everybody's just waiting for this game because they do a lot yeah. of the you know it's beat Eastern. navy and beat army you always see that coming right before it happens it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. uh social media you follow you know it's coming because all that stuff starts coming up um they've actually never held it at a home stadium so it's not played at either one of their stadiums it's actually held uh multiple locations the the Longest held has been in Philadelphia, nationally aired since 1930 on radio and televised since 1945. Navy leads 60 to 52 to seven, but actually has lost the last three games. Uh, They do have the longest streak at 14 games from 2002 to 2015. Uh, Interesting stat is it's regularly attended by U.S. presidents. Mm -hmm. Um, It actually was mentioned on tv uh, i'm sure it's in other places but by the show mash uh, if anybody remembers that one um they're betting back and forth on the fictional game of the two military uh schools um at the end of the game both teams alma maters are uh played and sung they don't bring in what we're used to seeing which would be uh celebrity or uh, somebody notable that'll come in and sing uh, um, the national anthem. Generally, it's done by uh, a mix of the two schools' um, bands, and uh, I don't want to say chorus; they're they're singing group. <laughs> anyway, can remember the term. But anyway, uh, the winning team stands alongside the losing team and faces the losing academy students. Then the losing team accompanies the winning team facing their students. This is done in a show of mutual respect and solidarity. Uh, since the winning team's alma mater is always played last, the phrase to sing second has become synonymous with winning the rivalry game. Uh, a longstanding tradition at the Army-Navy football game, this was, this was interesting to me, uh, is to conduct a formal quote-unquote prisoner exchange as part of the pregame activities. Uh, the prisoners are the actual cadets and midshipmen currently spending the semester studying at the sister academy. After the exchange, students have a brief reprieve to enjoy the game with their comrades. Uh, some notable names coming out of Navy, Roger Staubach, uh, Ed Sprinkle, uh, who is the meanest man in football. He was also a bear, Chicago bear. Uh, Mike Wally, Coaches George Welsh, Wayne Harden, George Sauer, Rip Miller, and Tom Hamilton. Most of those are in the College uh, Hall of Fame. Some Army notable names, uh, DeWitt Tex Coulter, Bob Meshack, uh, Alejandro Villa, uh, Villanueva, who's still playing uh, at the Steelers. He had a great history because he actually went and served and came back to play in the NFL. Uh, Glenn Davis and Red Cagle. Uh, some of the coaches were Jim Young, Earl Blake, uh, Biff Jones, and John McEwen. 
Well, so, I think another big thing too is why this is such a legendary game is obviously it's armed forces and you know so many people across the United States serving the armed forces is such a big deal and something that uh, at least for the most of us uh, pay high respect for and and tribute to um, the men and women who have sacrificed some some sacrificed all um, so it's something that you know whether you went to to those particular um, you know, academies or not you could still you still pick a side. You still had a grandpa that was army or something, you know, Navy or your air force guy or whatever the case may be, you know, it's, it's still, it hits home to so many people across the country uh, on one side or the other. And, you know, it's one of those things again, where uh, one day out of the year, these guys absolutely hate each other, but then the other 364, you know, they're brothers in arms and brothers in the trenches. Yeah. So uh, it's cool to see that the respect that they have for each other. Well, and as young men and women uh, serving the military, we always see them kind of pop up during NFL games where, you know, we check in on a base and yeah. you get to see a couple of them watching and joining, especially around maybe Thanksgiving or something like that. But just think this is the one day where probably most of them stop as long as they can to get to catch <laughs> part of that game. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Uh, and then last but not least, let's talk about probably the biggest college football rivalry out there, which is the Ohio State-Michigan. So just like John, I'm going to try and keep uh, some bias out of this one. That may be a little <laughs> hard. Um, Toledo's actually, just as a quick piece of history, because this plays into the game a little bit, Toledo was actually part of Michigan. And when they were first coming together, a lot of people were still sore over Michigan losing out on having Toledo as a uh, city under their state. But anyway, uh, Bleacher Report actually listed this as number two on the top 100 world uh, sports yeah. rivalries. The only thing beating it was a boxing match, and I can't remember who it was. Um, so usually the the battle for the big Probably like conference. Probably like Frazier Muhammad, I assume. It was. Yeah. That's the it, one. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so usually the battle for the Big Ten – uh, title and really originally for the the Rose Bowl generally comes down to these two uh, through 2010 Ohio State Michigan have decided the Big Ten Conference champ uh, championship between themselves on 22 different occasions and have affected the determination of the conference title uh, an additional 27 times uh, the first matchup was because we talked about what what was the earliest matchup we had for you guys 19-something? 1920, I think. Uh, these guys started in 1897. Actually, you might have – I think, David, you had a baseball one. Was it your Dodgers and uh, Giants? Was that might have been. 1800s, I think? Late 1800s? The Dodgers and Giants were in the 1880s, okay. which is, you know, Army and Navy was 1880 as well. Okay, so, so you still have me beat. Yeah, this one's going back – we're talking about yeah. pre nineteen hundred rivalries. Uh, they played annually and since nineteen eighteen. So they started in eighteen ninety seven. They had some off years at a couple points, but they've played annually since nineteen eighteen. Uh, currently, uh, Michigan's leading fifty eight to fifty to six, uh, with the large victor going to Michigan at eighty six to zero. So I read somewhere a while back too that Ohio started the program really out of kind of spite because Michigan was already into playing football, um, University of Michigan, and uh, Ohio State wanted to jump in on it, and they got beat pretty bad several times coming out of the gate. Uh, the longest streak is Michigan uh, of nine from 1901 to 1909. So, again, that was in that early 
onset of the, the college rivalry. But Ohio State is now at seven, starting in 2012, so go Bucks. Uh, in national titles, Michigan has nine. Ohio State has eight. Bowl appearances, Michigan has 47, and Ohio State has 49. Since we've now put in the college football playoffs, uh, Ohio State has two, Michigan zero, but we've got a long ways to go with that. Uh, postseason bowl record, Michigan's 21-26 versus Ohio State's 24-25. Rolls Bowl appearances, Michigan 20, Ohio State 15. And wins, they're tied at eight. Uh, Big Ten division titles, Michigan's got one to Ohio State seven. Big Ten titles, Michigan's 42 to Ohio State's 37. Uh, consensus All-Americans, Michigan is 82, Ohio State 85, and Heisman Trophies, uh, Michigan 3, Ohio State 7, and then all-time win percentage. Uh, Michigan at .730 versus Ohio State's .727. So really, we're still looking at a pretty even matchup here. Um, they've been around since – I'm sorry – so one of the big games I found was really interesting to me was the Snowball, uh, titled in 1950, uh, was when Ohio State's halfback slash punter, uh, Vic Janowitz, who also won the Heisman that year, had to kick the ball 21 times for 685 yards. That's unbelievable. Yep. And he, like I said, he did win the Heisman that year as well. Um he did go on to play in the NFL. Uh, let's see. So there's a total of 41 punts that day, mostly on first downs in hope that the other team would fumble due to the harsh weather to get field position. Uh, Definitely no dome back then. Believe it or not, Ohio State lost. I didn't get the score down, but they did lose. It was a very tight game, like a 10 to 20 type of margin. Um, and the head coach actually quit after that season, mostly due to that game. <laughs> Um, let's see. So, some notable names from Ohio State, uh, Eddie George, Archie Griffin, Ezekiel Elliott, Chris Carter, Jack Elliott, uh, the Bosa brothers, Beanie Wells, Chick Harley, Art Schlichter, um, coaches like Urban Meyer, Woody Hayes, and Jim Tressel, a couple of those more lately than not, uh, Michigan notables, Jim Harbaugh, who's also the coach, uh, at this point, Charles Woodson, Tom Brady, uh, Desmond Howard, Tom Harmon, Balin Edward, Jake Long, uh, Dan Deerdorf, Lamar Woodley, uh, and then again coaching Bosch, uh, Shim Beckler, Jim Harbaugh, Bump Elliott, and Gustav uh, Fairbert. So definitely one of the biggest ones out there. I obviously have a little bit of bias on, on where everything stands, but uh, you know you really can't argue with what you hear and see stat-wise out of these guys. Yeah, so being born in Ohio, I mean, I'd certainly root for Ohio State over Michigan any day, but I actually have some family who live between Detroit and Ann Arbor, and they have had season tickets to Michigan since the mid-80s. So every time these two games are out to play, I usually get a text from one of them talking about, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, what's going to happen. So it's always fun just texting back and forth about, you know, anticipation of the game, what's going to happen, and who's having a better season, what's going on there. But, I mean, just – Again, with kind of with the Chicago and Detroit, I mean, here the proximity is close as well. So there's definitely a dislike between the fan bases of Ohio versus Michigan as a state as a whole. So it's a lot of fun and just seeing all the different P5 
people there, the passion that goes into this game. John, any thoughts? You're up in the Midwest now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I obviously like I appreciate the rivalry, but I, I feel it more. You know, I don't have any any pick one way or the other. Uh, honestly, like I'm probably if if you know if I had to choose one way or the other, if someone was like you have to pick right <laughs> now, I'd probably I'd probably go Michigan. But John um, and I just find ourselves just, on the opposite end of the table. It really. <laughs> We, well, we love doing kind of like to the each other. Sometimes they just rub me the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really don't have any fight, you know, any any dog in the fight. But if I if I had to pick, I, I think that would be amazing. I, I like their colors better. Um, sometimes, you know, people come out of out Ohio State that are a little obnoxious. I, I get tired of hearing when they, you know, on the NFL, they they show the lineups, and you have to hear the the stupid Ohio State no, it's uh, the, introduction there. It's the Ohio yeah, State. Come on, the right. Ohio. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> here we go again. So, uh, yeah, if I had to pick one, it'd probably it'd probably be the Wolverines. But uh, yeah, I don't have a dog in the fight, but I see it here, and you, you unfortunately, you know, in the Midwest, you 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 see a ton of it one way or the other. Uh, it's always a big game. So I wish. Uh, you know, I wish Michigan would play a little bit better. Uh, you know, as of late, but well, they, it's, they definitely uh, had their shot this year. They they had it all lined up with how their season been going. They for whatever reason, Ohio State had their number. They, they that's the thing they've had it. They've had what it takes Damn. to beat Ohio State. Harbaugh just several times it. recently. They just yeah they they fall apart for whatever reason. So and they've they've put oh, out some great names in the NFL over the last several years. Definitely. Yeah, you know, it's not for lack of talent either. But you know, we'll uh, we'll digress uh, real quick. Let's <laughs> drop into the white flag, um, guys. Is there a favorite sport rivalry that we haven't talked about, David? What you got over there? <laughs> so, Mister Statman. So I actually went fictional on this. So this is not a oh, a true sport rival. So I'm going Peter. So you're not going to throw out like some Harry Potter or something. <laughs> no, but it's going to be just as random. He's Peter Pan? <laughs> no, hold on. Peter Pan and, and Captain Hook? Is that where you're going with this? So I'm going Peter LaFleur versus White Goodman. Do you know what that's from? Oh, good Lord. If you can dodge, dodge a wrench, you can dodge there a ball. There you go. It's the ultimate <laughs> sports game right here. It's the Misfits and the Superstars, the weak and the powerful, the passionate and resourceful versus the arrogant and wealthy. So the big gym owners wanted to shut down little gym across the street, and they play for the cash again. This awesome dodgeball game that the whole movie is prepped for. So that's going to be my fictional sports rivalry here. Oh, gosh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've now switched from Sports <laughs> Talk Garage to ESPN The Ocho. <laughs> the bold move, kind. Matt, what you got? Uh, honestly, I, you know, I think one of the sports that hasn't been talked much about, but is growing a little bit, uh, is lacrosse, and they're starting to get some notoriety around the college uh, level. Where, and in high school, I've seen it more for for private schools that have more money to play with because it's not a cheap sport. Uh, so, like I said, it's starting to gain some notoriety. I remember that um, uh, there's a few different. Colleges across, again, different places like the Ocean State Cup. Uh, but I know that there are some schools that really get some notoriety. Um, who was it? Maryland. University of Maryland used to host the national championships 
um, back in the early 2000s. I don't know if they're still doing that. Um, but schools that are in the Ivy League tend to play Cornell versus Hobart and a few others. So I'd like to see some more of that come across. I think that's a really neat sport. I mean, you're basically taking guys that are, uh, you know, specialty guys in football, giving them a stick because they're, you know, most of them are wearing some kind of shoulder pads, helmet, and some arm gear. And they're going up there, and they're not supposed to, like, destroy each other with a stick. But how how much do you think that's really not happening where you got sticked a few <laughs> times in the game? <laughs> that's an interesting one. All right. We're, we're going – we're stretching the limits here with both of you guys. Well, John, you got any? Um, I'm going to go with an easy one for me. It's, uh, I'll be a homer. And uh, this one got pretty heated just last week, actually. So I'm going to go with uh, Chicago White Sox and Chicago Cubs. <laughs> um, you know, that to, to me – It's a rivalry. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like uh, Sox fans – there's always those people out there that are like they're bs they're like oh i just hope chicago wins yeah screw that (laughs) no i there's i like it when you know my other co-host on on the the outlap f1 podcast uh, james he's he's a diehard cubs fan obviously i'm a white Sox. he's a ticket holder so uh we go back and forth with each other on that and um you know it's the it's got to be one of the most hated rivalries out there in sports. Uh, just last week alone, there was a couple of bras uh, in the south side of um, when these two teams played each other. So, you know, it's they've it's been one of those kind of iconic series, and we talk about uh, depth and going back. So, Sox uh, basically, you know, started in, in the early 1900s, uh, 1900, 1901. Um, Cubs officially became the Cubs in 1903. At one time, they were actually the White Stockings uh, team. So uh, kind of a, co- a correlation between uh, those two. They've had 122 meetings between the two of them. Sox lead the series 62 to 60, so incredibly close. They've actually only played each other one time in postseason history, and we're going all the way back to 1906. They played in the World Series with each other, uh, where the White Sox won four games two. Um, obviously it's, uh, white collar versus blue collar, North side versus South side. Um, you know, so, and they actually, we share, uh, transit lines, the red line running through Chicago. We both are off those particular lines. So kind of have the, uh, the red line series, uh, the Winnie city showdown, the cross time, cross town classic. But, you know, you look at these teams, both of them, obviously the Cubs still play in Wrigley and iconic stadium, uh, whether you like it or, or hate it. Um, you know, and you've got the, the Sox at Kaminsky Park, uh, which they played there for 80 years before they decided to build a new stadium. Unfortunately, uh, I kind of wish they would have kept the, kept the original one around. But um, your championships, Cubs have won three, 1907, 1908, 2016. Uh, so they broke that 100-year-plus uh, drought. Um, they've won 17 tenants, um, which is pretty impressive there over the course of the history. Sox also have won uh three uh, world series in 1906 1917 and then they also had a pretty significant drought not as long as the cubs but not too far short uh when they pulled uh 2005 world series and in a dominant postseason um uh, uh victory and and sweep through that to that thing even though espn forgets that 2005 <laughs> season ever happens 
but whatever. Screw you guys uh, over there. Um, Cheers to you, buddy. Again, it's just like, yeah, it's it's one of those things where you know we're at the end of the day, we're all Bears fans. We all hate the Packers, but uh, during during the uh, baseball season, you know, everybody is divided. Obviously, the Cubs are the big market, bigger market team. Um, you know, they have a larger fan base. Uh, you know, they're they're more of Chicago's teams, but a lot of Southsiders take pride in the fact that, you know, they're the blue collar fans, they're the police officers, the firemen, the plumbers, you know, the construction workers. They take pride in the fact that uh, you know, they, they grew up in that mentality and it's been passed down from generation. I saw my first Sox game in nineteen ninety eight and, and kind of been hooked ever since. So um yeah, it's, it's close to home. Uh, it's it's crazy, though, that, you know, like I said, there was two brawls just last week in the stands. Uh, lots of arrests being made at those two. So, you know, you put the two together and, and kind of all hell breaks loose. It's but a recipe it's for disaster. Yeah, absolutely. And to be 62 to 60 all time, um, you know, we only play each other. It depends on the season. This year we play each other. Um, we, I'm going to split out there. So we, we just played in the south side. We split their series and – you know, Cubs fans were talking smack the first game, and then Sox pulled it back the second one. So it's just a great series, a great classic, uh, and it's it's you know very similar to that uh, Dodgers Angels, you know Yankees Mets. You know, you always have kind of that white collar blue collar rivalry there. So Chicago is definitely no exception to that. Yeah, one commonality I found is a theme among all everything we've discussed tonight, whether it's been 50 years or you know 100, 120 years or more. There's a lot of parity in this. No matter how long teams have played, it, all the numbers are close, the stats are close, win-loss records, points scored. Kind of makes you wonder, you know, teams go through periods of high where they're winning and constantly you know, at top of the mountains, and then, you know, free agents leave and people retire. So it's just funny seeing that after all these years, there's still a lot of commonality among all the numbers there. Sure. One of the things I was trying to find, but I was unsuccessful, I was trying to find like the worst teams in history that are rivals with each other, because I think that would be pretty comical. Yeah. It was like, you know, that the 0-11 team versus the 0-11 <laughs> team. And it's like, all right, who's going to break the streak and not have a defeated season? Um, there's got to be some out there. I know there is, Certainly. but it was hard to find stats. So if you're hearing this and you know one of those, uh, please, please, please send one in. That would be a classic to talk about. All right. Very cool. Uh, well, guys, real quick before we get out of here, anything cool we're looking forward to this week or next? Uh, give a shout out to uh, soccer, American soccer, representing well um, this past week. So good to see, good to see that. Um, you know, America not not a sport that we're known for, <laughs> but it's glad to see we show up every once in a while. Especially the ladies uh, are pretty dominant over the last few years, and then. Uh, you know, personally looking forward to, to F1, British Grand Prix coming up. to iconic race at Silverstone, so it's going to be a good one. Yeah, definitely soccer is good to see at work. And even while I was away this past weekend to watch some of the games, that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, just looking forward to a nice, quiet weekend for once, which will be a little unexpected, but it'll be really nice. Cool. Like I said, since at the start of the episode, since I got a chance to caddy with some of the uh, LPGA uh, pros, um, Shout out real quick to Catherine Perry, who is a Tar Heel. Um, probably one of the coolest I've ever met. She's uh, very cool, very down to earth. I may have to see if I can find her on like Twitter or something, see if I can get her to come on the show with us. Because, um, you know, I don't think LPGA is one of the things that I've watched a whole lot of growing up. Um, 
my dad is, you know, followed golf in general. And uh, since they're going to be in Toledo this week, uh, I think I'll try to sit down and watch a little bit of that now that I've got, you know, got to meet some of the notoriety and in the sport. So that'll be exciting. Um, But other than that, let's go ahead and sign off for the night. And uh, uh, we'll look forward to getting some new material out for you next week. Definitely pay attention to that. Uh, And again, quick shout out to John James with uh, F1 Outlap and definitely pay attention to their group. Get some time in with them. Uh, Reach out to us if you have any questions, comments, concerns or otherwise. But otherwise, it's been great talking and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to have your sports related question or comment featured on the show, please email us at sportstalkgarage at gmail.com. Also, if you want to keep up to date with us outside of the show, please follow us on Twitter at sportsgaragepod. If you enjoy the show, please drop us a five-star review and subscribe if you want to hear more. So for Chris back in the studio, David and Matt, I'm John, and we are the Sports Talk Garage.